0: Hello and welcome to The Shepherd's Voice, the podcast of Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Purcellville, Virginia. My name is Pastor Charles Biggs and I'm here with Pastor Ben Franks. Good morning. Good morning. Our question today as we continue through uh, our uh, discussion and our uh, looking together at the Heidelberg Catechism is from the 24th Sabbath or the 24th Lord's Day. And I will read uh, questions uh, 62, 63, and 64, and then ask you if you would uh, be kind enough to comment on it and um, show us uh, the good news that's, uh, that's uh, revealed in, um, in this catechism, in these catechism questions. Question 62. But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Answer. Answer because that the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law, and also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Question 63. What? Do not our good works merit, which yet God will reward in this and a future life? Answer. This reward is not of merit. But of grace question 64 but does not this doctrine make men careless and profane answer by no means for it is impossible that those who are implanted or united to jesus christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness
1: mm. yeah this is a great lord's day and and each of these questions are, are are good questions to talk about because they're questions that naturally spring up, and um, they're they're very much flowing out of what we looked at in our last episode, Lord's Day 23, where we saw how you know you step back from that summary of the faith, that summary of the gospel we have in the Nicene Creed, and it and it asks that all important question that every, you know, preacher gets at. So what? You know, what 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 are we supposed to do with this and why does this matter? And we saw that the the so what of all of this is Christ. And that the last Lord's Day we saw how the Bible as it talks about these things points us away from our works, points us away even even from, you know, trusting in our faith as if it's some sort of work, but seeing that it's we're saved by faith through Jesus Christ. Or as you reminded us from from warfield that christ saves us through faith christ is what's central and what we have on lord's day 24 then is in a sense the sinner kicking and screaming against that good news which so often happens doesn't it you know we uh, if you you know in parenting perhaps you've seen this where you try to give your children something good and they're kind of fighting you against it and you want to sort of shake them and say this is good news and in the same way we do this with with god because the the question that comes up is Well, why can't my good works help? Why aren't my good works enough? And and so often we ask this question. It comes out especially maybe in our relationships with each other that we'll sometimes sort of put on an air of humility when we're talking about God and and, and church things. But then when we interact with each other, this self-righteousness and this pride kind of slips through. Don't you realize what I've done? Don't you see all the things that I'm doing? Don't you see how much better I am than you? you know And we see this as we talk about or with our spouses or co-workers or our children or our friends, whoever it may be. and, and this is something that is a it's, a it's a sinful question of the human heart really because it's rooted in pride. but it's a natural question because fallen creatures, we are proud. we are um, self-righteous. And so it's good that the catechism, gives voice to this question so it can answer it for us biblically. And as it wrestles with that question, you know, why can't the good we do make us right with God or at least help make us right with him? Why can't we kind of be a partnership? Maybe he has to do more of it, but some of what we do at least helps. Mm -hmm. And the catechism brings us back to biblical uh, foundations and says, because the righteousness, which can pass God's scrutiny, must be entirely perfect. And must in every way measure up to the divine law. Even the very best we do in this life is imperfect and stained with sin. And that can sound like hard news because we want to be able to throw something into the pot, to add something. But of course, part of what the Catechism is helping us to see is that to have that mindset towards righteousness is to be talking about something other than what the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about the righteousness that God requires, it's describing something that none of us can achieve. You see this especially in the book of James. James so helpfully skewers our self-righteousness and our spiritual laziness, and he does that in part by helping us to understand what God actually calls us to. And in, in James chapter two, uh, verse eleven, uh, we we read this. Actually, let's go back to uh, verse ten. He says. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment." What is James saying here? We're, well, first off he's, t- he's speaking to the man, he's speaking to the person who is wanting to operate under this self-righteous mindset, this 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 law of, of judgment ultimately that I can stand on my own two feet. I can come before the judge and say not guilty your honor or at least not entirely guilty. Uh, I have some righteousness. I have something good to bring. I shouldn't just be condemned. And James is showing us the folly of that because what he says is the way that we think about our sin is very shallow. We tend to view it just in terms of doing this or that wrong. And if it's just a matter of accumulating a few bad deeds, then it would make sense, logically, that we could do some good deeds and and kind of balance things out. But he says that misses what makes sin so sinful, what makes evil so evil and unrighteousness so wicked, is that it's not just breaking a few rules, it is rebellion against God himself. And and James focuses us on that, that it's the one who said don't commit adultery that also says do not murder. And it's not enough to say, well, I, I kept half of your rules. You sinned against the righteous one. You sinned against God. And so to break the law, even just in one point, and there's not a single person alive who's only broken the law in one point. We all break all of God's law in all sorts of ways. But even if you could live a, a, a practically perfect life and just break the law at one point, you have still broken God's law. You have still rebelled against the king. You have still sinned against the Holy One. And so the kind of righteousness that God requires is the kind of righteousness that he possesses. The, the, the command we get in Leviticus, and we hear it repeated in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy as I am holy. And so for you to live under that, that law of judgment, to, 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 to say, I can stand before the judge and say, not guilty, your honor, would only be possible if you could say, I am holy, even as you are holy. And even the smallest amount of self-awareness should help us to see none of us can do that. Yeah. And so we cannot come standing on our own uh, righteousness as if we uh, can keep or have kept God's uh, law. Uh, James talks about this uh, even further in James chapter 4, verse uh, 17. He says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, now he's just expanded the problem even more. It's not only that we have broken God's law in different ways and that to break God's law in any way is to break God's law as a whole, but that it's not only the things we do, it's the things we don't do. It's the things we leave undone it's not just not lashing out in anger. Are you actually showing love? Are you building up? Are you encouraging? Um, all of a sudden, we begin to see that even those of us who think, well, I've got my act together, and I, kn- I know how to behave, right? Sometimes that's all that uh, we were brought up to do, or we're trying to bra- raise our children to do, just teach them how to behave. Well, that's not teaching them to be righteous. You know, well-behaved, quiet children can still be wicked and rebellious, and, and often are. Uh, it's, it's a heart that is reflecting the perfect, holy, loving heart of God that God himself is looking for. Because ultimately, again, what God is 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 aiming for, what God made us for, is union and communion with him. And we can't be united with him if he's holy and we're not. And we can't have communion with him if he's holy and we're not. We need to have a holiness and a righteousness that is unlike anything we could produce. It has to be something that is provided for us. It takes us right back to what we talked about last time. It has to be through Christ. It can't be through your works even a little, little bit because even the smallest of our works are are, are imperfect and impure. There are, there's filthy rags outside of Christ. Um, and then it asks, you know, kind of the natural question from there. Well, how can you say that the good we do doesn't earn anything when God promises to reward it in this life and the next? And what this is grappling with, and this is, a, you know, a bit more... Uh, you, you can you can almost see the questioner and the catechism kind of moving a little more closely to the gospel, but but they're looking in the Bible and they're seeing that God will frequently speak of the reward that he will give to the faithful and the righteous. Uh, right now, I've been working through the Olivet Discourse, and a lot of what Jesus spends his time on there, as he talks about the end times, is actually trying to brace believers for endurance in this world. And he, he does that by rooting their hope, not in their circumstances, not saying, okay, you're going to see the world become perfect and so much better and what you want it to be, but saying, you're going to endure some hard things, but the master is coming. So be a faithful servant, and God will reward you. And they're looking at that language and saying, well, isn't that saying then that our works help us? But of course, what that misses is that the reward that God gives is not, is not wages as it were. Again, the wages we deserve are, are the wages of sin. It's death. But in Christ... That we receive God's free grace; that He delights to give good gifts to His children; that the reward He give gives is not um, is not you know believers on an hourly wage. It's it's Him showing the kindness. It's sharing the riches of the inheritance that we have. Where? in Christ. That's what we saw last time, that it's the inheritance in Christ that we have from which these rewards come. It's never outside of Christ. It's never disconnected from him or from his spirit. You know, Paul says that the spirit is the the down payment of the inheritance that we have in Christ. You can never, again, this is part of what the, the sinful heart wants to do. It wants to carve out some part of this that's apart from God. And, and, um, and the Bible shows us that's not the gospel—that's not good news, because the whole glory of the gospel is that we're united to Christ, we're sharing in His life, and we're sharing in the inheritance and the gifts of grace that He gives to us. And then in question 64, it kind of continues on this theme, but but deals with maybe a different question that people have—a different instinct. Doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? Right. This was one of the questions that Martin Luther had to address at the time of the Reformation. Uh, some of his um, Conversation partners in the Roman Catholic uh, hierarchy said, well, wait a minute, Luther, if your ideas about grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, if the people begin to grasp that, then they'll have no motivation to uh, be righteous. It'll, it'll just be a, a blank check for, for wickedness. If they understand this kind of grace that you're talking about, then they'll have no motive. And first off, what you see in that question is, once again, a worldly definition of holiness, that uh, our works, our actions, our discipline and habits can somehow produce the righteousness of God. But the kind of righteousness that we're being called to is not something that we can do by behaving well, developing good habits, becoming better people. Uh, And so the... The part of the problem with um, that, where that question was coming from, was that they were settling for too little. In a sense, they they weren't after what the Bible is after, what James talks about—the kind of righteousness uh, of God that comes from above, as he will say uh, elsewhere in his in his letter. Um, and, and but but the second thing is that, um, as the catechism draws out here. This teaching doesn't lead us to indifference because it's impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. In other words, part of what we have to grasp is that um, the, the good works that we do, the, the the things that God does reward, are again, we don't receive the reward apart from Christ, we also don't produce the works apart from Christ. What you see in each of these questions in a different form is some way of trying to live the Christian life without Christ. Yeah. It's a Christless Christianity. And, the, and the, the Heidelberg Catechism wants to make us discontent with that. So much of uh, American religion, uh, American Christian religion, is a form of Christless Christianity, where whether it's formally or, as you talked about last time, whether it's just functionally, we try to find some way of living the Christian life without Christ and and the Bible will not let us have that because that's not the gospel. It's not good news that will condemn us and it's hopeless. But what um, what the Bible holds out instead is a truly good news, which is that, uh, our our satisfaction and salvation is only found in Christ. The inheritance we have is, ha- is found in Christ. The reward we have comes from Christ, and that reward which comes from Christ is in response to the works which Christ produces in us. And all of the good works that we do are not good works that we're doing apart from him. It's what God is doing in us. It's what Christ is perfecting in us. It's that we have been made righteous uh, objectively in justification, and now we're being made righteous Um, in our sanctification as well because he's given us his spirit and his spirit must produce those good fruits because it will be conforming us more and more to christ and so as you step back from this heidelberg catechism in a sense it just sort of relentlessly cuts our legs out from under us again and again and again until we're kneeling at the foot of the cross and finding their true salvation true hope true glory, true power to live a changed life, to be holy, to be righteous, to be holy even as God is holy, and to find that holiness in Christ. Amen. Amen. I
0: I can't help but think of uh, Jesus, how he was blowing uh, the minds of the people in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that your righteousness must exceed that of the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, that they, they were well behaved outwardly. Um, you know, they, they tied their mint and their cumin and their dill. Um, you know, they, they were exaggerated in their outward behavior and seeking to outwardly, externally um, obey God's standard, and yet uh, they fell short of the glory of God and, and were on the way to damnation apart from repentance and faith. And so Jesus uh, uh, says, remember in, in Matthew 5:48, 48, um, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect so that he could be crystal clear, Another thing that I thought of is uh, very practically when um um I'm seeing a work produced in and through me when I see something maybe a desire but also something that's done by faith it it I can tell often I can tell the difference between uh, whether it's um a functional Christless work um or a a Christ full work is by my gratitude um, after the fact, uh, seeing it um, as something I know has been produced in and through me uh, by the work of Christ. It humbles you. It makes you grateful. It makes you want to encourage others uh, that uh, they too uh, can can produce fruit as Christ promised that we'll bear fruit, fruit that will last. Um, but but proud fruit tends to say, look at what I've done for you, God. It, it tends to look at what I've done for uh, for others, it, it tends to be a comparison kind of righteousness that is evil and proud, and we have to c- confess those those times. And uh, but but I think it's very helpful when, as you pointed out, very functionally uh, in our Christian walk, to remember the Philippians two twelve and thirteen that it's it's to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in us to will and to desire and to will to will and to do. To will or to desire the good, but also to do the good, and so it's all his work. But we can, I can think of times um, uh, when in my life the work didn't bring me to humility and thankfulness. It brought me to comparison, kind of legalistic, Pharisaical, functional Pharisaical Christianity, where I thought too highly of myself. And I think we can all tell the difference: is that when it's from uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, it's humbling. Uh, we're thankful, we're given joy to do more. We're grateful because we know it didn't it wasn't in and through us and we know that we want to share it with others and and encourage others that they too in Christ can produce fruit that will last. Um, but it's not if I, if you will, envious and competitive, if I could put it that way. but uh, pharisaical religion will always be Christless, envious, and um, competitive. yeah and
1: we're too quick to settle for that Christless Christianity. So we would always be drawn back. That's our hope. Amen. In Christ alone. Uh, Amen. Christ alone. If you'd like to learn more, you can find resources about this and many other topics on our church website, www.catoctin.org. That's www.k-e-t-o-c-t-i-n.org. You can find out more about the work of Pastor Biggs as the regional home missionary of the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic at www.joiningtheharvest.org. If you found this episode to be useful, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. If you have questions that you would like us to answer or consider in a future episode, you can send those to us at shepherdsvoicepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we encourage you to join us for our next episode of The Shepherd's Voice.